My name is Adrian Cartland. I'm the principal of Cartland Law, a tax law firm in Adelaide, South Australia, and the creator of ALIRA, the Artificially Intelligent Legal Information Research System. I'm here to talk about bitcoins, blockchain, and other cryptocurrencies, and their legal and taxation effects. So, first of all, the thing to consider is the nature of bitcoins or, and, and crypto, and what constitutes the property in there. So there are really three options. First of all, is the property the private key? Is the property the tokens that, that are newer to it? Is, is the property the, um, the, the, uh, is, is, the comp is the property the wallet uh, in which they are stored in? Now, first of all, from a legal perspective, I think that the only property in there is the private key, and that's property by way of being confidential information, and that confidential information then has rights that go um, up and down in value as you get more um, uh, coins or, de or decreasing coins that, and tokens that uh, that attach to that private uh, key. Now, the, uh, the the tax office, the Australian Taxation Office, takes a different view they think is that together um, all of those three things create some kind of generalized and non-specific asset. Now I know that uh, in section 1085 uh, uh, the um, definition of a capital gains tax asset is set quite broadly and so um, a capital gains tax asset isn't necessarily the same as what constitutes a property right uh, although there is typically overlap and so while I, I don't think they're necessarily correct, at least the view that we have to work with, uh, unless you wish to challenge the tax office, is that um, somehow the, the tokens themselves are the assets. And so that is to say, in the view of the ATO, if you get a token, um, then you have received an asset. If you get one Bitcoin uh, or one Ethereum, that is an, an asset that you have obtained. Now, the um, the how they got to that point is is really by saying that people are purchasing these and they have some kind of economic value uh, therefore it must be an asset so I don't think that that's necessarily correct at law um, it is a um, it is the view that they're taking and it's a view you need to deal with for tax purposes although quite different at law so um, I'm gonna make a comment about um, about the legal nature of cryptocurrency, uh, which are often described as smart contracts. I don't think that cryptocurrencies are a smart contract for law. I don't think they are, there, is a, there is typically a contract at law behind most uh, crypto for the reason that the transactions are not legally binding nor are they intended to be. There's no intention to create legal relations. So, let me say, if I was playing Space Invaders, and I uh, and I own the game, which is a, an asset, and then I get more points, and those those points is very valuable to me. I want to get as many points as I can, to get the highest score that I can in Space Invaders, uh, and where and how I go up and down in points in Space Invaders will will affect um, uh, affect my my worth of, of the game. 
I'm sure there is some inherent enjoyability in, in playing the game, I don't want to get lots of points. Um, now, I would not say that playing that game and accumulating points is um, that there is any kind of legal relation. Even if I was playing um, uh, a game against someone else on the other side of the world uh, and I'm trying to get points in there and they're losing points, how am I, uh, how are we intending to have some kind of contractual uh, relationship? What we're intending to do is play according to this game or play according to this program. Uh, and so that the, sure the program itself might be valuable, but um, if there's a glitch in Space Invaders and, and all my um, all my, my points disappear, or if I'm playing Pong with someone on the other side of the world and, um, and suddenly there's an error in there that gives them a million points and me zero, uh, I'm going to, I, I can't sue them, there's no contract to do this. And I think the same applies to cryptocurrency. Uh, most smart contracts, unless they have something specifically that says, we intend this to be a legal contract. Where the smart contract takes up the whole of the, the rules that you're governed by, which is really, I think, the, the most interesting thing, um, and the most interesting proposition, is, um, but if you're doing that, you're playing entirely by the program, and which means that I don't think that there is intention to create legal relations. You're, what you're intending to do is do something according to this program. And so the simplest smart contract is obviously uh, Bitcoin, and the, and the smart contract is that I will debit my account and credit yours. And we agree that when my account is debited, it is, it, it, it is reduced and your account is, is credited. Now, but what happens if there was a failure? Now, of course, we're going to say, no, it, the, a failure in this is, is very unlikely. But um, from a legal perspective, what really matters is the things, is, is when the unlikely event happens. I literally had a client the other week, um, had, uh, transferred some um, uh, minor crypto uh, from, from one account to, uh, to another, and the, there was some under, unspecified error. And they lost 30 grand worth of, of crypto. And, then and so then we need to need to dispute this. And so if something goes along, um, if there is a, a contract um, between myself and someone else um, that is entirely put on a smart contract, is it the case that this is legally binding? I don't think so. Unless you say, for example, Agrello um, seek, to, seek to put a separate contract um, that says this is legally binding. Um, and, and that if this fails, this is how we determine it. Now, it could be a simple code-based contract, but I think you typically don't have intention to create legal relations. And what this means then, this has a number of other effects from a tax timing perspective. So when you enter, so um, for example, uh, if, you have, if um, a crypto is a capital gains tax asset, which of course it can be, uh, if you're holding it on a capital account, then what will happen is the timing of if you sell it, dispose of it, is either the earlier of when you enter into the contract or when you dispose of it, uh, if there's no contract. So if you, now this doesn't really matter if, uh, unless you're transacting on the 30th of June at, uh, at 11.30 and it takes an hour to process and you say, oh well, if there's no smart contract, then, then it happens in the next financial year. But as we get into more advanced tokens that have a, a really complex set of rights uh, that might take some time to execute, it will really matter 
whether there is an intention to create legal relations and when the time of the execution of that contract is. And so, uh, you know, if, if I say that in uh, a year's time, uh, I give you um, uh, one, one Ethereum and then in a year's time you'll give me two back, uh, when is the time of me getting my two back? Is it, is it now, when I enter the contract, or is it in a year's time? When I, when I get them. So, in my view, that um, uh, because there's no intention to create legal relations, um, it it, uh, it it has some very significant difference that um, impacts that people perhaps haven't considered. Now, the so we have sort of three considerations. Um, uh, one, the, the legal implications, which which then. Uh, the legal nature of cryptocurrencies, which impacts on a whole bunch of, of, of others and feeds through. Two, the way the, the tax office considers cryptocurrency. And three, there is the overarching regulation. So, um, so, so the, the regulation of cryptocurrencies in Australia, uh, the key things to consider is, is ASIC and Austrack. So Austrack um, uh, tracks Australian money or money in Australia and is really concerned about um, counter-terrorism and anti-money laundering. And um, Austrack uh, say that if you're an exchange you need to register with them and, and, and put into place certain uh, money laundering, uh, anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism counter um, measures. So that's what, as soon as you become an exchange in Australia you've got a, um, a, a bunch of regulation. Now, uh, curiously, if you're an exchange, if you're with, with ASIC, uh, ASIC will consider, are you a financial exchange? Now, a financial exchange will be, if you're the financial exchange will depend on if you are trading financial products. If you are a financial exchange, then you'll have a, a huge regulatory burden, I think. Um, uh, uh, just like if you were the ASX. Now, uh, financial products, uh, it's going to be um, uh, really interesting from an ASIC perspective. Are you, do you have financial products? Do you have shares? Are you having uh, derivatives? Uh, and so they think that your standard cryptos like Bitcoins, they're not shares. If I'm having an ICO of a, of a token, um, that's not going to be uh, going to be hit with, with regulation. But um, from, from ASIC, but what I would, but they will then look at the underlying rights and see um, how this fits in with their regulatory scheme. So, um, in a nutshell, if the the value of your tokens and your crypto comes only from trading it with other people, so Bitcoin, the value of Bitcoin comes only because people use it as a medium of exchange or speculating on this future value. Um, in which case, if you have a token like that, you're fine. Now, if I have a token that will increase in value based on the, the profits of the company, now, uh, whether it's because I'm going to derive revenue or because as the, as the company becomes more profitable, there will be a reduction in the amount of tokens, like, which is akin to a capital buyback, or uh, whether I get some additional rights, um, if the, uh, then I might fall within the managed investment scheme. If, I, um, if I'm going to be getting, um, if, I'm, if I have some kind of voting or control rights, if I have rights to winding up 
uh, the capital and the winding up of the um, of the company. If I have um, uh, rights to some kind of dividends or ongoing payments, I might become shares. I might become some kind of financial security if I'm going to get um, uh, payments. So it's when you move into something that is not a utility token, not used for purchasing other things, that is when you are going to hit a whole bunch of financial regulation. Um, but if you have um, you know, some more, what I'd say, classic crypto um, that, is, that is a token that is, you know, is going to be used for purchasing your goods or services or, or tracking or have some kind of other utility, uh, I, I think that um, Australia is um, uh, relatively peaceful in its, in its regulations. So, um, now I'm going to talk about some um, tax issues that I don't think other people have uh, fully realized. They are uh, in the ATO's um, public rulings, and but I don't think people have thought exactly how the ATO will apply them. So um, in Australia, um, crypto will typically be one a capital gains tax asset if it is used and, and held for um, appreciation or for uh, investment purposes. Um, it's not a foreign currency. I actually think that's wrong. I do think that it is a currency. I think the tax office is, is, is wrong there. Um, but it, um, uh, you're going to have to fight if you want to be considered a currency. It's also, um, uh, they initially said that you're going to have to pay GST. It's a disposal of, of an asset. It's a supply of an asset. However, um, we now have uh, an express uh, law that says there's no GST on crypto transactions, uh, which is great. Uh, um, but I think something that's been massively overlooked is whether it is on income account or revenue account. Now, what does that mean? So if I have a, a tree or I have a piece of land that I, and I have the tree to produce apples or I have the land to hold and sell for rent uh, and, and rent out, uh, those are on capital account. What this means is if I hold it for 12 months time, um, before I dispose of it, I'm going to get a 50% capital gains tax reduction. And I'm using it as part of my business. Maybe I can use the, to get the small business uh, capital gains tax con concessions. Uh, I can, there are also a whole bunch of other capital gains tax rollovers and relief. Um, and, uh, and, um, and so the treatment of capital is generally more favorable in Australia. And, um, and the, uh, although if it's held within a company, it, uh, will, it, it won't matter. Uh, it generally won't um, uh, matter. Uh, whereas, so because company every, every, and companies, everything will be taxed at either 27.5% if you're a small company or 30% um, if you're a larger company. And so, uh, but what, what you'd want to do is any kind, anything that's held on capital account, you're going to want to hold individually or in a trust or a partnership or something else that's going to flow through uh, and you will receive usually discounted uh, gains. Now, a revenue asset is something that, um, or perhaps some trading stock, is something that I hold um, that is for the purpose of, um, of, of selling. So if uh, apples that come from the tree, they're trading stock. Uh, the uh, the rent that I, I receive from my my house that is uh, that is revenue. Now of course, 
if I'm in the business of um, cutting down forests to use as timber, then suddenly my tree are on, is on revenue account. Now if I'm a developer and the thing that I do is I make lots of houses and then sell them off, then my houses are on revenue account. Um, now, um, whether something is on revenue account will affect how it's taxed and will also mean that um, uh, the trading stock accounting rules will apply. Um, and without going into too much detail of, of how this is, you, perhaps you need to, to uh, so you might get a deduction for purchasing your trading stock immediately. Uh, you may have to uh, bring it to account at the end of the year. So if you start off with 100 apples and you end up with 110 apples, you're going to, um, uh, you have made profit um, in there that, that you're going to have to uh, declare. Uh, if, you, but it, uh, if you purchase 50 apples, then suddenly um, you're going to get an immediate deduction for that. Whereas if I purchased um, 50 blocks of land to, to um, rent out, I don't get an immediate deduction for that. So here is the important point that I think that people in the crypto community and in fact that the tax office um, is, uh, is, is not really at the front of their mind. I think that most people in the crypto community hold it hold their crypto for speculative purposes. They buy it so that it will go up in value and then they will sell it. That seems to me that the activities of most people that I meet is much, much more akin to a trader who holds it on revenue account and trades it than someone who is buying and holding for the long term. Now some people um, uh, do buy and hold for the long term. There's a couple of tax office private rulings where they have considered this, but the things where they have considered it have been very, very bland and obvious. Like for example, someone mines um, at the, you know, they, they started mining um, early on and they've just been holding it because it's really interesting and uh, they're gonna hold it into the future and they may sell it if, if it goes up, but they're not sure. Um, if you are churning around, you're trading your crypto, you're buying into every ICO and you expect it to go up, like I think this is on revenue account. Um, and that when you're disposing of it, you're making immediate income uh, that's not discountable. So I would probably say 90 to 95% of people that are seeing crypto are holding this, um, holding their crypto on revenue account. Now maybe you can change that. Maybe you can, maybe you decide that now I'm suddenly become a hodler. Um, and that you're not going to sell, you know, under most circumstances. That somehow you're just going to wait for it to appreciate in value. Actually, having a change in purpose is a taxable event, uh, and it has tax implications. So um, <laughs> there is, um, uh, like, that there is a lot of people who have a lot of money invested in this. That, um, and I think most accountants and, and um, uh, at least the initial stage of the ATO. Uh, I don't have this in the front of mind. I can tell you though that this is really just based on fundamental tax principles and that um, this will, I, I, I think this will be something that will come to the forefront um, of, of tax disputes, uh, whether people can get discounted gains, whether they have to, um, you know, if, they've, if they've suddenly had an increase in value uh, of their trading stock, <laughs> do they have to, uh, and they haven't even disposed of it, so they have to pay tax on that. Uh, it can also make the accounting for things easier. If you just have trading stock, you just count it up at the end of the year instead of having to go, when did I purchase my trading stock? Like, you know, if you have, if it's a capital gains tax asset, you're going to say, you know, when did I purchase it? How much money did I put in? 
um, work out your cost base, um, how much it, how much it costs the assets versus uh, how much they're they're presently valued for. So there's um, you know it's not necessarily that there's it's terrible one way or bad the other. It, it is different, and I don't think this is something that people are very aware of. Now, actually, I've had some discussions with people who have gone. Uh, no, like crypto is suddenly is somehow outside of um, government supervision, or, or um, you know, it, it's it's difficult to track. Therefore, you know, who cares? Now, when you have a ledger, which in, for for many things is perhaps not like CK Ccash or Monero or something, um, for most ledgers they are public, um, and so. The only reason why the tax office has, to has not totally reconciled it with, um, trans with, with who owns this uh, and what's happening with these transactions is because they haven't had time yet. Now I can tell you that they are working on this. And in fact, I spoke to a prosecutor recently, a uh, police prosecutor, who called cryptocurrency and Bitcoin prosecution futures. Because they know that in some t at some time, once they have um, uh, mined all of the data that they can out of these public ledgers, they will find a whole bunch of naughty transactions that haven't been disclosed, people purchasing drugs or buying things or, or even just not declaring their taxes, and they will get to it. And in the case of things like fraud or evasion, like t tax fraud or evasion, um, which is uh, like tax evasion, is at the simplest just not declaring it. Like say if I received cash for doing a tradie job, that's just evasion. There is no time limit in which they can go back. So that the tax office, um, if they don't have the technology now, which they don't, um, but they're working on, uh, they might in two years time or five years time or 10 years time. And so uh, not only if you're picked up for, for evasion, you're going to get 100%, 50 to 100% penalties on, on the tax payable, plus interest at this presently about 14% a year. Now, you know, um, so if it's picked up in five years time, which is probably a reasonable time frame, uh, like you're gonna be paying many times over what you gained. Um, and, and it will be picked up and you might, so uh, because you have to have some, it's very, it's almost inevitable that you have some kind of contact with like between your private key and the outside world now if you just have a private key and you've just mined money out of mined um, uh, bitcoins and you never spent it on anything well it's pretty hard to track that I admit that um, but as soon as you start making payments then there is you have some kind of contact with the outside world um, I'm sure there's also there's there's people who are uh, much cleverer than I am who can think of uh, of ways of putting this through, but, but just remember any transaction that you do, there will be someone potentially with unlimited time and resources um, trying to work uh, and undo that. And uh, particularly when you have large amounts of money, um, you are um, uh, in, yeah, like you are going to be um, very attractive. So I'd like to go on another point, um, $10,000. So $10,000 has a couple of um, uh, like it is relevant for, for uh, a couple of reasons. One, um, if you are like from a anti-money laundering point of view, uh, like Oztrack, if you're making transactions over $10,000, then that needs to be um, reported to them and they're going to track that and they're going to want to analyze the transaction. Now, so the 
obligation there is on the exchange to provide that information. Now, um, $10,000 also has a relevance for tax. So, um, if you if you have an asset that you've acquired for less than $10,000 and you use it for um, personal expenditure, then you don't have to pay capital gains tax on that. So, let's break that down. So you've acquired it for less than $10,000, so maybe you're mining Bitcoin, in which case you've acquired it for $0, or perhaps the, um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, zero dollars although if you're mining it's probably on revenue account you're almost certainly running some kind of business of mining in which case um, your mining equipment should be a business expense and the bitcoins that you receive will be on trading account the crypto you receive from a trading account um, um, if you're doing things in a business like manner uh, uh, there is actually a, a private ruling where the ATO considered this a couple of years ago, uh, and someone was mining, but they had been mining for a hobby, and, and it was you know back in the early days, and the ATO said like, no, you don't get a deduction for it, um, and uh, we you know, we don't think it's on revenue account. Um, it's you're holding it for the long term, and it's capital. Um, but it was very, it was a very vanilla case, um, and it's very obviously capital because they're, they're holding it. I would say the, the, um, the conduct of most people who are mining, they would be running a business. So you have um, uh, obtained, so back to the $10,000. So you have obtained some kind of, um, you've obtained your, your crypto, perhaps you've, you've bought it. Uh, and it's, even if it's gone up in value and it's presently worth more than, more than $10,000, so long as you're spending on personal things, um, then that's, um, that's, you're not going to pay capital gains tax on the disposal of those assets. Now, personal things is not buying more crypto. Personal things uh, is, you know, your, your, your food shopping each weekend, your pizza and your phone bills. And um, uh, like, unless you're living an extremely lavish lifestyle, which maybe you are if you're a Bitcoin billionaire, um, it's unlikely that you're going to make huge gains out of that. Uh, so um, it's, kind, it's kind of cool, but it, it needs to be an asset that you've purchased and um, uh, one particular, uh, like, so if you're spending you know, your entire livelihood, if you're making all of your profits for your lifestyle off crypto and you, um, you can't say that I've purchased this in less than $10,000 lots, uh, the tax office is going to say, you know, you're, you're, um, you're funding your lifestyle of crypto, sure. Um, maybe, you, maybe you've got all these little, these amounts that are worth less than $10,000 or they start off being less than that, or you're doing it in less than $10,000 transactions. Doesn't matter, it's all on revenue account. This is basically, so this is not supposed to be some great way of not ever paying tax. What it's meant is just to be a, uh, to clear off people who get some crypto and they buy some stuff and just push that out of the tax and regulatory system. So, you know, if you're, um, if you're legitimately using crypto to buy, you know, small amounts of things, um, buy, buy overseas, uh, you buy something that goes up in value and you buy, you know, the new motorbike, you're fine. Um, if you're buying Porsches, uh, probably uh, re uh, have a chat with your, uh, your uh, tax advisor. Um, so, I'm going to be discussing uh, this uh, at the um, 
the Blockchain and Bitcoin Conference uh, in Sydney on, um, on, on Tuesday, the, uh, the 29th. And um, uh, I uh, also, I've got, got a, a list of questions, but I'm aware that I've been talking for a while. So, um, I have been asked about um, using blockchain data in legal disputes in Australia. Um, no. One interesting point um, was uh, there are a number of privacy laws, like if, if you could be ordered to take down material, um, if it is, it is immutably on the blockchain, you could be in some trouble. I know there's been some um, long-term hoaxes on um, in crypto about there being porn on a on the blockchain and and um, and that uh, but as far as I understand that's um, that's just fake news and um, but the question does remain that what happens if someone puts something terrible or offensive uh, can it be removed well no and yeah that's a problem um, one thing that I think is uh, really interesting uh, about from a legal perspective about crypto is that for a distributed system like block like Bitcoin uh, when I say that it's it's not there's it's not a, it's not a legal contract I actually see that as a positive thing I see it as being entirely outside of the legal system and so smart contracts in that way can offer uh, actual competition to our entire legal system. So, now this isn't the first time this has happened, like uh, the courts of common law and chancery um, in our jurisdictions uh, have competed with each other. The, the courts of chancery, which came out of the, the Church uh, of England, um, they would uh, make in personam uh, judgments of things of, you know, they would be the conscience, things they thought were fair, and the courts of the common law would follow black letter rules and say, you know, um, uh, this is what you know like you can only have rights to land if you are the legal owner and um, but if I but if they say uh, Knights have gone away on the crusade and they gave to gave their land to their best friend to hold um, for the benefit of their children there there's not any way that you can write that down so the courts of chancery would say uh, you need to um, uh, they're going to recognize a, a trust back then called use um, for the use of someone else, the benefit of someone else. So there, there, but there was actually a lot of competition between these courts. There is presently competition between different jurisdictions. Jurisdictions want to be the, the jurisdiction in which jur disputes are in. And crypto can be a, uh, a competitor to the courts entirely because, say, unlike a bank, uh, so a, like a, the courts can make uh, judgments that are enforceable against a bank. They could say, uh, we're going to injunct you from doing something, or we're going to make a, an order that you transfer money over here or do that. For a distributed system, there is no one there that you can make an order against. There is no way of enforcing it. You can only make enforcements against particular people. Now, so, you know, if you're a person um, and you've got some Bitcoin and uh, and there and uh, and you met you had an ordinary contract with someone to transfer them some Bitcoin and, and you didn't then sure you can have contractual remedies against you um, but if you're not identified uh, so, so you know I'm not saying that um, that as a person if you're physically somewhere 
there's no legal redress against you, but for contracts that are conducted entirely um, electronically, um, that that may have a challenge to the uh, the, the fundamental uh, rule of law uh, and compete against the courts themselves. And so on that um, sort of hypothetical and interesting note, I'm going to leave and I'm going to talk about these and any other questions that people have. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the Bitcoin and blockchain conference in, uh, in Sydney on the 29th of June, or 29th of May. Cool. Thank you. Bye.